You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now, you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with myself, Ian O'Connell, is Tady O'Connor. Tady is originally from Kilcommon in County Kerry. He is a deacon and he was ordained as a permanent deacon for the Kerry Diocese in October of 2017. Tady, thanks a million for coming in. It's great to be here, Ian. It's really? a privilege to meet you. You too. We met outside in Castle Island first. Uh, that's a number of years ago now you were giving your testimony. Was it Father Brick? That it was man? Father Massey Brick, yeah, he's still there. A big hurling man. A great hurling man from Narkerry, one of the few now. Yeah, oh, nice man. So it was great listening to you and, of course, following your progress then since on Facebook and where not and papers and everything like that. And, of course, here in Kerry Radio, your marvellous programme. Uh, you're so inspirational. Thanks a bit. And that's powerful because, you know what, we need that today. Appreciate it. Yep. Um, I start off, but when you were growing up, do you want to give us an idea? Oh, yes, when I, up? <clears throat> when I was growing up. Well, um, I suppose fundamentally I came from, you know, a traditional uh, Catholic family. And uh, I would have had a number of uh, priests, uncles, uh, two of them actually, Father Pat O'Connor from my father's side and uh, Father Paulinus O'Sullivan from my mother's side. And uh, I was brought up with great parents really and and grandparents, uh, basically from a very humble kind of farming uh, background and uh, rural, it was a rural community in Kilcommon. And I went to school in Kilcommon. We walked to school. Coolick? Uh, no, Kilcommon School, Kilcommon National School, my yeah, Clash na Grand. My mum went to, to Coolick. She's from, do you know, Naclabade up? I do. Yeah, my no, Naclabade. Well, that's right. Uh, I actually passed through it the other day. So, believe it or not, we kind of walked to school. My father sometimes took us to school, maybe on the trap. That was uh, a, real, a real treat. And he might pick us up on the trap. I remember that. And uh, but we'd have great old chats going to school. And do you know what? There's, there was a great social life really in in the parish. And um, the culture, of course, of the day was a, a different culture. It brought people together, and you had time to to talk and to reflect and to share with people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like like you said, it's great to be able to look back and remember all things, isn't it? That's right. Well, I think uh, positive, positive, uh, positivity is is very important. And again, I came to really realize that later on in life. But um, you know, the childhood at the at the time was was a positive experience, and uh, I stayed with my grandparents actually because I was the oldest uh, in our family and uh, I was sent to my grandparents, Maria, to look after them. Uh, <laughs> I was called after uh, my grandfather from my mother's side, Tate, Tate Peter, Tate Peter O'Sullivan, uh, from Knockin' and Anne. And um, I, saw, I really enjoyed those times as well. We played a lot of table tennis as well with guys uh, in our young age, in our, in our teens, Bobby Gallivan. Uh, there'd be a lot of listeners would know Bobby around Killarney as well. Uh, he knew a lot of people, but uh, he was he was very encouraging. Actually, when we were teenagers, he got us out and got us going and gave us a bit of confidence. We went to the All Island and table tennis. Really? Yeah. So that was quite an achievement that time. Actually, for a small club, I can yeah. remember we played St Mary's here. We beat them in a final, uh, but it was mostly over to Bobby and a few key guys that we had there in front. But I was lucky at the photograph of that actually the other night. I think there was eight of us on the team. And uh, but they were very enjoyable. They were very enjoyable days. So uh, I always strive to hold on to 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 good memories. Yeah. 
uh, because that's what drives us. Uh, Absolutely. There is a saying that there is nothing, only depression when you look back. So I think you have to be selective when we look back, you know, because we can easily fall into something else. Absolutely. Yeah. You said you came from a, a Catholic family. What's your, your, I suppose, your first memory of church? Did you do any altar serving or... I did, actually. Yeah, it was one of my oldest memories, I suppose. Uh, I think maybe my oldest memory was choir uh, in, in school. And the teacher would bring us to uh, to church and we'd all partake in the choir. We had beautiful choirs uh, in Kilcommon, uh, youth choirs and uh, children's choir. And uh, later on, then, of course, the old church in Kilcommon, I did uh, take up the serving and... Um, I suppose that's what kind of introduced me to church. I always seem to have a, I was thinking of it there yesterday, I always seem to have a desire, don't know where it came from, uh, from a very young age, from my oldest memories would be a desire for, I suppose, mystery and the church and what went on there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading up yesterday when I was doing a bit of research, you worked for 32 years in a... Oh, that's right, yeah. I did. I took up employment in uh, 1974. Uh, I was very lucky, actually. I had done electronics for six months with Enco uh, and Cork. Oh, really? Yeah. And electronics were just coming in at the time. And, of course, there were the, these companies, big companies, were looking for young guys with some knowledge of electronics because they were changing from mechanical to electronic uh, devices was technology it was mostly banking technology at the time and uh, <clears throat> so actually three of us uh, that were on the course in in enco well, we got we got three we got three jobs with ncr really? we were given three vans within six months we thought we were away with, with it all together <laughs> we were driving a company van and uh, they took us to england then and they trained us uh, on basic uh, retail equipment, which we started then servicing and in shops and repairing them, and it kind of all began there. They were a, they're they're an old company. They're still world leaders in ATMs. I saw an ATM here the other day. It was just drawn to it uh, inside here uh, in Killarney, and you can make lodgements through it and all. And that was made uh, manufactured by NCR. So NCR is still at the cutting edge of of, of technology, really. Uh, and we dealt uh, I, I I installed the first um, ATM actually in Tralee in 1982 Goy. yeah in Bank of Ireland it was a big hello the same day all the politicians were there <laughs> all the big noises around town and I was there at the back of the machine you know and my fingers crossed to see was this thing going to stay working for these guys uh, when they put in their card that the shutter would open and the shutter wouldn't stick because in those days like we did have a lot, an awful lot more problems than we had subsequently with with uh, newer and later technology you know yeah but it meant that you had to keep abreast of it all the time i always say for the first 20 years that i spent with ncr uh my first uh, 20 years as a career uh in in that field i spent three months of every year in a classroom situation Good. studying the involvement and all the new equipment that was coming onto the field you know because we were responsible for all of it so then it it, it became a kind of a challenge then because you had to know about machines that were 20 years old and you had to know about machines that were just being released modern more yeah modern 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 equipment and um before that was it before or after after 
school you was DCU you have a degree in oh DCU that's right well I'll tell you yeah that was always on my agenda to pursue spirituality yeah yeah interesting now how you touch on that something very important to you isn't it <clears throat> very important to me as I say from from a very early age from a very as my oldest memory but anyway yeah you're quite right I was in NCR for that 32 years and I suppose like I enjoyed the the, the career so much for, I would say, 28 or 29 years, it was like a hobby going to work. But it... What it did re- they say? If you enjoy what you do, you don't work you, at You don't work life. at all, yeah. You, so you don't work at all when you enjoy what you're yeah. doing. So it wasn't work for me. It was enjoyment. It was a challenge. I liked meeting the challenge and I liked meeting people in my career. But <clears throat> I had had enough of it, believe it or not. Really? And this came as a big surprise to me when I was turning away from the... And I was turning away, trying to get myself to turn away from the job because, you know, I had a nice salary at the time. I had a company car, uh, but I could see that there was something else beckoning and there was something else drawing me into this area. So anyway, I, I, it, came to, it, came to, it came to a push anyway, but I had to make up my mind. Um, that last 12 months was very difficult. I was totally losing interest, if you like, and I was being focus more and more on the area let's say of spirituality yeah so i jumped ship um um told management that this is what i wanted to do i came out actually without a um a pension at the time because i retired early i uh but that's the way i wanted to do it i didn't want to, i wanted I, I knew i had the energy you yeah. know you had it there i had you, it there um, yeah so you, i went to all hallows yeah in 2006 and i spent 12 months there actually 12 months, yeah really 12 months because i did my thesis there as well and uh, because I found that if I came home, I'd lose the, the concentration. So I still maintain that I rented a house in Selbridge, drove in and out every day. I had the car. And um, and as I say, I came home every second weekend and my family then would come up as well. Yeah. Because as I say, I, I, I was lucky to have... Uh, to have um, to have been able to rent a house there very cheaply, I was I was kind of given it there by a family uh, who were no longer living in it, and it's it just worked out marvelously. Just the week that I was finished, the family uh, needed to come back into the house again. Go away, it worked yeah. out perfect. So perfect. You um you're the manager of the pastors pastoral centre. Oh, that's you? right. Yeah, that's right. After that, actually, a phone call came in to. To All Hallows, <clears throat> this uh, priest up in, um, in Donegal, Father Neil Carlin, he had built uh, oh, he, he had built an incredible uh, setup up there, a pastoral, he had a pastoral centre, his own retreat centre, he had a six-acre prayer garden, believe oh, it or not, really? yeah, depicting uh, the characteristics of the early Irish saints, because he wanted to go back, he wanted to go back before the Reformation, because... Uh, he was actually on the border, Donegal Derry border, really? so you can get a lot of conflict up there yeah, yeah. between Protestant and Catholic. And uh, he came through. What was it like back then? Say compared to now, <clears throat> was it kind of if you were on the border, the conflict was it bad back then? It was. It was. There was some horrific stories. I can remember the first day that I was taken into Derry uh, by the priest's brother. Actually, we were taken through the bogside. You know, I can still remember it. There was all like uh, concrete. Uh, out of ready mixes just poured mountains of it you know where only the catholics could walk you know they oh, didn't yeah. want anybody intruding or any 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 brits coming in and you know controlling the show so you could see all the evidence of that and the, the houses as well you know the the blown up houses and all of that 
But uh, thank God it worked out very well. I was actually involved in developing peace programs, peace uh, programs for the communities there. And we'd bring them out uh, out to our retreat center. We, we, we were granted it to, 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 uh, to grant them free travel even out to our center, which happened as well, like miraculously. And um, it, uh, I learned so much from there. I love the work, but uh, I'd be still there. But it's, uh, the, the, travel, the travel was, just, was, uh... was just too far. <clears throat> Music back then was it was that part you were um you were did you get manager of a musical director was oh music? yes that's right yeah uh, that was that was afterwards is right <clears throat> um was the family your family into music growing well, up well twas yeah there was always music in in our family it was the first thing that I heard I'd say was music really? you know when I was born yeah my father uh, he'd be renowned around uh, Sleeve Luker and Killarney Kilcommon Jimmy O'Connor uh, for his playing of the accordion and singing as well and uh, he was a great entertainer he could entertain a crowd uh, for you know three or four or five hours yeah really no problem so I was born into that and I joined him then actually on that on that as well uh, where we and my sister Siobhan we we sang around town we did a lot of it back in Beaufort and Killardlin uh, the O'Connor family yeah and uh, that was that was uh, a very enjoyable time for us uh, it was very it, it was I'm, I, I'm, I'm delighted that I picked up you know that flavor of of music and uh, that I had the music afterwards then to pursue within church. Yeah. And as you touched on there now, uh, yeah, director with the uh, Vincentian uh, Parish Mission team. Because I had gone to uh, All Hallows, that was a, Vinci a Vincentian college, followers of St. Vincent de Paul. So as I was saying there, a call came in from Neil Carlin, Father Neil Carlin. And um, yeah, I was sent up there. But subsequently, then we went uh, on parish missions. So we would have given missions, I'd say, in every diocese in the country during that period. It probably spanning well right up to before COVID, yeah. you know. And uh, it hasn't kind of happened since because parishes are still developing. There's still there's still a lot of people still uncomfortable about coming back into into crowds in in churches even. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's getting progressively better. And uh, but people are are very cautious. You can understand, and particularly maybe that age group, you know. But um, it will, it will, it will come again. It will come again. Uh, please God, it will come again. And I think it will be, it will be, it will be a stronger uh, church. Maybe smaller, but it will be a stronger church in, for the future. And you were saying there about your your sisters and stuff. Would there have been, a, I suppose, an interest in? say traditional and trad music as well oh tried to that was the the that was the breeding ground actually you know in our house at home like we'd have traditional music whenever my father would play it which was very regularly in those days and also neighbors would come in uh, and they'd be dancing through the night and uh, my oldest memory would be to be in bed where i'd hear the music resonating and i'd hear the the dancers on the floor there, there were all the dancers and they'd come in maybe with, with, with hobnail shoes, you know. Go away. And these would be strong men and you'd hear them like tipping off of the floor, you know, battering the floor. Uh, and that's that's a sound that I would have gone to bed with, uh, gone to sleep with uh, many, many a night. And just touching on music there, my sister Helen and um, uh, Dennis uh, Crowley, they'd be very much involved in uh, liturgical music as well. Um, 
so it's it's a family trait and my brother of course Neely yeah. uh, as well Neely O'Connor you Neely play O'Connor the, the accordion I play the, the piano accordion yeah I actually learned the piano accordion from a brother I went to the monastery um, uh, went in there at like third class and uh, I was playing the button accordion up to then and when I went into the monastery there was a brother Gabriel and there was three or four more guys we had a band that time in the mon uh, tin whistlers and we then there was three of us uh, we had a piano accordion so I got a piano accordion of course <laughs> to be like the other two guys <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that I got the piano accordion because the piano accordion lends itself better to a compliment when you're singing and playing together really? it lends itself better to that and it's, it's a broader instrument it lends itself uh, as well to waltzes and that you know now the the button accordion is is uh, is a better instrument, an easier instrument probably, because there's a lot of travelling in the in the piano accordion. You've yeah. just got the one note for each key, whereas in the button accordion you've got two notes, so you you don't have half the travel for each key. Yeah, that's really? right, two notes for each key. Really, that's right. Yeah, Go ahead. And the press and the draw give you two different notes, do uh, on the ray in the same in the same key. Same key. Whereas you have to travel one extra in the piano. The accordion. piano accordion. Yeah, there's a way more kind of. There's a way more traveling. That's why you use the thumb with a piano accordion. You know, same as a piano. Yeah, yeah. You use the thumb, whereas you don't use the thumb on a button accordion. You just use the the four fingers, or nearly most of the time, three fingers. It's not as as big. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving on to to more recent times. After all that, um, a deacon in the the church. A deacon, yeah, that's right. Do you want to tell me exactly? For the people out there that aren't hundred percent sure, do you want to tell me what it involves? Well, yeah. Do you know what? The the, 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 the work of a deacon, I was thinking of it this morning. <coughs> um, it's hard to put in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. But let's look at the deacon as a male first. <coughs> at the moment, it's a male. Um, and so the deacon is, first of all, his vocation, he's married. Yeah. Okay. And he's got family, mostly. And that's his first vocation is to married life. He's a husband and he's a father. Then he becomes a deacon. And really, without going into the liturgical accuracies of it, um, a deacon is a person who wants to listen to the people and to respond and journey with the people in a sacramental and a divine way. Yeah. Really? So really, the deacon is there. He's a listener and he's a servant. He listens to the people. He wants to listen to the people and he wants to get maybe involved or get something uh, flourishing in a community or within a number of people that will help them spiritually and that will connect them to the supernatural. Yeah. And so he's always waiting and he's looking for opportunities to do that. To do that. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And um, when did you actually start that? Because were you in the Castle Island kind of area before? Well, yes. Well, uh, no, I was, I was, I was, I was always in Kilcommon. But when the assignments for the diaconate came up, uh, Bishop Ray assigned me to Castle Island. Really? Why year was that? Uh, that was twenty seven. That was twenty eighteen. Yeah. I was ordained uh, in twenty the end of twenty seventeen. So that was uh, 2018. So um, 
I'm out there since mostly I'd be involved in up to COVID. I was involved uh, mainly in baptisms. Really? Yeah. Um, and um, now I'd be involved in prayer groups and all of that as well. And I'd be doing some stuff online on my own. Then COVID came and I actually did a lot uh, online from the church outside live streaming. And um, How you, was that? Um, <clears throat> did you, it was whole, actually... The whole you know, online thing. Yeah. Do you know what? I found it. I found it very good. I found it very fulfilling for myself. Uh, and as well as that, the feedback that I was getting, like it was always, it just always surprised me at how people would respond and how they were benefiting from what we were doing. Yeah. You know, I had a Wednesday night going there for a while and I've kind of focused it on family. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, family, the institution of family as we knew it traditionally is under pressure today. So uh, it needs uh, support uh, from every dimension, really. So I thought I'd be doing my little bit. Uh, so I used to invite families to join online. I'd invite them to join around their own, sit around their own table at home, and we'd have a chat. And uh, I'd introduce uh, different various topics. I started off actually uh, during Advent. And, you know, the themes of Advent was hope. You know, there are the themes of Advent, uh, hope, peace, joy, faith, love, you yeah. know. So I'd, 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 I'd explore one of those um, topics each night. Because they with are, family around the with table. family around the table, yeah. I envisage that there was people out there. But yeah, I used to get calls. I used to get texts from right across the world. Yeah, America, the whole the whole gambit. You know, we yeah. um we seen that, say the likes of the entertainment business <coughs> and the the actors, comedians, and stuff. The impact it had on their industry, and it was obviously the same with people that were going to church. They weren't able to That's to right. go. What was the feeling like when? Every when people were allowed to come back to the church, was there kind of a buzz around that people were able to? Well, there was because you know, Ian, it's it's much more natural. You know, no matter how good uh, online or live streaming is, uh, there is nothing to beat even the social side of coming together. Yeah, you know, so we gathered together. In fact, that was the origins of the church of the of the mass. Actually, they gathered socially together. And then they created the, the 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 sacrament, the sacrament around it, um, and explored it in the context of scripture and priesthood and and all of that. And that's what we are experiencing today. But the the needs uh, we're, we're social, we're community people, we're social people. Uh, we're not designed really to to live in our own, to yeah. live in isolation. We're 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 designed to live together and to share. And uh, I think that was the great thing about the old church. I used to often say, you know, that <coughs> farmers would, would, would walk to mass like before and, you know, they could be half down because they might be after losing uh, a field of hay or something in the rain. But, you know, they'd meet uh, another farmer and he might be after losing a calf or a cow. And uh, between them anyway, they, did, they discovered and realized, you know what? Life, life, this is life. Yeah. Life is tough. Life this is hard. Happened. Yeah. You know, that it's not it's not easy for anybody. And I think that's a real that that is a deep reality in life that I suppose we can miss. We can miss that sometimes. And that also that we're vulnerable, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to be human is to be vulnerable. Did you? Um, I know my my grandmother, she passed away there in 2015. She used every year she'd go on 
different pilgrimages to Magigore and oh, stuff. Yes. Did you? I did. I did. Actually, I went to. Um, I was. I was more or less cajoled into going to Magigoria uh, in two thousand and three. I had been asked two or three years before that. And it was um, a very special year for Carmel and myself. We were celebrating uh, marriage um, anniversaries, and um, and and um, we 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 decided that we got a Medjugorje, and I just fell in love with the place, uh, the whole the whole thing around Medjugorje, the mountains, the spirituality, the simplicity, the centrality, a family there. Yeah. Uh, it just captured me totally and up to just before up to 2019 including 2019 i would have been in Medjugorje 21 times go away. yeah i've gone there with groups sometimes twice a year uh and uh, but every time i went to Medjugorje i can i can say i got something of a supernatural experience i yeah. i always say the the same i've never been there yeah but then fifth year i went to lourdes at the school right but i don't know I don't know what it was when I was there. Do you know, before I went, I was kind of saying we're just going with the school and stuff. But when I got there, yeah. I don't know. You, I kind of felt something, and I kind of got. I don't know. <coughs> That's it's right. hard to describe. It's isn't that it? Isn't that it? And I was saying that to a priest the other day. You know, uh, I know we'd be touchy on the book, but uh, I I said to him because he would have written many books, Father Pat Collins, and uh, I said, you know, Father, it's it's. It's 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 difficult to explain it. It's difficult to explain. Well, he said, Teddy, stay writing. The people will be interested and they will be able to read between the lines. Yeah. That's the way he put it. So, so but that's what I say about Medjugorje. It's like you'd be just you'll be trying to describe what heat is without ever experiencing heat. So what I say is Medjugorje are lords, as you mentioned. You've got to go there to, to experience know, yeah. it. Because it's beyond, it's of a supernatural dimension, and therefore it's beyond explanation. You've got to experience it. And that's what the present Pope is actually speaking about. Uh, he's talking about experiential spirituality, the theology of tenderness. Yeah. And he's, about bringing, he's talking about bringing that tenderness to the church and to the people. Uh, and that it's, it's to be experienced rather than, it's not an intellectual subject, because quite simply, as I discovered through my illness um, our intellect is not strong enough to comprehend it has Absolutely. to be uh, experienced it has to be from the heart it has to be interior experience Absolutely couldn't agree is, yeah. agree more we'll move on to, to, to more recent times when your life kind of I suppose kind of took a big turn and you you October 2021 started right. off you got a, a bit of a cough do you want to that's right. Talk me through what, That's what right. happened. <clears throat> it started off, yeah, yeah. I, I got a bit of a cough and, you know, as I say, I was never in hospital. I was never really sick. And even though COVID was around, I said, no, this isn't it. Like, you know, but uh, so, yeah, I got uh, some medication. And uh, but anyway, uh, I ended up uh, having to ring uh, an ambulance. Actually, it was my daughter uh, rang the ambulance and uh, the ambulance arrived. So I was taken into to hospital into CU into K KUH here in in Tralee, and uh, I was I thought I was doing okay for for two days, you know. I was in bed and I thought I was breathing okay, but evidently I wasn't. So I was put on I had to be put on life support. So lo and behold, 
I wake up two months later and yeah they tell me what happened unbelievable yeah. I remember when I had my my accidents they, they put me into an induced coma entry wow. to just to kind of relax myself to transport to to, to Dublin for my operation and I remember waking up on the ventilator as well Gee. it's I think and a saying I used to say during during Covid is if you don't like the face mask you certainly won't like the the <laughs> ventilator and um, do you know when you did wake up did you <laughs> that's a good way of putting it on <laughs> it is <laughs> do you know when you like did wake mask. up yeah what was your first um, yeah. your reaction because it's probably it was kind of very vague at the it was very time. very vague it was very vague because like being eight weeks on it like it 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 sucks all your there's one thing about a ventilator it sucks all your muscles yeah and because i was on it for eight weeks you know i couldn't move a muscle like i couldn't move a hand or a leg or i couldn't walk i couldn't stand you know but um <clears throat> i woke up i would say actually i'd say my initial uh waking up experience was to music go away extraordinary experience yeah uh, the only sound I could hear for eight weeks was on and off the sound of hymns being played, which my family had asked the nurses and the doctors to play to, to play for me, and uh, that really worked. Actually, uh, I was I I wrote actually to the consultant there recently. Um, again, just reminding her of all of that and sending her my CDs, and she said, "Yeah, that she'd be delighted to 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 play them, and she will certainly introduce them now for people, you know, on the ventilator, because that actually was the only sound that I heard." And just staying with that <clears throat> for a moment, uh, I was I was, as you would uh, realize, I was I was studying that myself, yeah, and I always said like. And I, I studied that in Croatia, in Zagreb. Uh, there was a priest who developed uh, a whole uh, body of work around our spiritual dimension, you know, and that we can actually communicate with the spirit, and that our that our our our, our spirit can communicate with the with the with the overall spirit. And I believe that that that's was the line of communication that I was connected to. Because it says as well in the teaching of the church that music carries the word of God into the soul. Uh, Pope Pius X said that. And certainly that's what I experienced because my intellect was out of it. Somebody said to me the other day, Just Teddy, you had great willpower, hadn't you? I said, no, I can assure you it wasn't willpower because I didn't have the, the energy to will anything. Yeah. I didn't have the intellect. But still I had this awareness that there was people praying for me, which there was when I discovered when I came out, uh, an enormous amount of people praying for me. So I actually felt that confidence when I was on. They were the only feelings that I had. Uh, I felt that confidence. I knew I was weak, even though I didn't know I was weak before they put me on it. But I discovered on life support that, yeah, I'm weak and I have to, you know, decide. And so... Yeah, I found myself having to decide for life, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And like that I wanted to live. Like absolutely it's between either it's up to you then your determination, like you said, <clears throat> you there was a lot of people praying for you and yeah. it's unbelievable to see the way people do kind of come together. Your when you came off the the, the ventilator and your kind of rehab and stuff started. Yeah. Your your wife and four kids and stuff and even 
I suppose the community around you how important were they to know oh, that yes. they were with you every step of the way because it was up yeah. to yourself it was up to myself yeah that's true <clears throat> that 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 is that is key alright uh, Ian uh, the, the people around you are a major source of nourishment and support and confidence my immediate family my extended family um, my friends uh, that was all key for me because what I discovered was that every positive thing that was done for me every phrase every phrase of words that were said and that I could hear that were positive it all registered some of those phrases I would have clung on to you know for for days uh, for weeks uh, they'd keep you going so it became vitally important the type of language that I spoke and to know that there were people out there I'd have received texts I'd have received uh, prayers I'd have received um, can remember uh, Siobhan my sister she sent me in a short little video she's sacristan in Kilcommon a short little video where she was lighting a candle for me uh, one day and you know that was of immense support and very very important I was listening to Castle Island Father Massey Brick one night uh, he was doing the Mass for St. Pio the Healing Mass and in all of the Mass you know, the, I suppose it probably went on for two hours the whole uh, service but he mentioned you know how anxiety is only temporary Absolutely, and that stayed with me yeah. for weeks that kept me going because you know I would have been anxious at the time because this profound uh, sickness this profound isolation through sickness brings on anxiety because it's so sudden you're totally stripped of everything that supported you yeah yeah absolutely I suppose you can finish up without asking you how are you how are you doing now because obviously the recovery when I yeah. had my accident a saying that I seen it was recovery isn't for the people who need it it's for the people who want it yeah. How are you feeling now after going through all your kind of physio and stuff? Do you know that's a very good phrase you use for people who want it? Yeah. That's right. Not that need because they, they, they said that to me and truly early in the time. Actually, I suppose I was only off the, 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 the life support maybe a week or two. <clears throat> and it was physios that I had. And they said, you know, the rest of your recovery now is up to you. Yeah. The rest of your recovery is up to you. And really from that day till this, I've been working on that. So would stay in your head, wouldn't it? What they twit, said would twit, stay in your head. Yeah. What what they said. Yeah. So recovery, as you say, is still going on for me, but uh, I focus on on hope really, and uh, that's what my book is about. Uh, that focusing and staying with hope uh, is is of major importance, and so what I'd like. Uh, the book to do is to give people that again that hope that yeah. faith that uh, in sickness in the darkness of sickness in the isolation of sickness and really you know in anything at all in any little crosses that you might consider little crosses uh, that you'll encounter whether they be emotional or physical or uh, mental uh, that when you stay focused and on positivity, and when when the cornerstone is hope and faith, it will bring you through. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we do finish up, I want to 
touch on the book because uh-huh. that's obviously a big project going on in your life at the moment. What part of your recovery did you decide that yeah. you were going to write a book? Yeah, that's tr- that. Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, I'll tell you. Um, I suppose when when I reached, uh, yeah, when it, when I reached the stage that I was able to talk about uh, the experience yeah. and what happened, and talk to friends and and all of that more sort of friends, they said to you, you know, you've got to write down your experience. So you know, I was I was reluctant because I I don't know for different reasons, yeah. but anyway. They, they 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 persisted and thanks be to God that they did. Uh, so I started writing and sure I discovered like that you know it was it became a therapy for me. Yeah. And it also distracted me. That's another thing I discovered and I mentioned that in the book. Like it distracted me from myself and from anxiety. Uh, so this activity and concentrating on it, it helped me emotionally to overcome it, uh, and also as I say, to distract me and give me something to do. I've been very busy on it. And what I've discovered is that when you distract yourself from your sickness, you actually heal. You give your body a chance to heal. So I've tried to put it down the various stages of my recovery. Uh, The sources that I found helped me the most, like you mentioned there, about friends, family, extended family, uh, prayer friends, uh, doctors, nurses, all, all. In, in fact, in the early days in hospital, you know, the encouraging words, and you say that you still hang on to them, but the encouraging words that you get from doctors and nurses absolutely stays with you. Yeah. And I try to, to touch on all those different stages. I mentioned music, of course, was big for me, I'd have to say, in my recovery, and, and still is. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, now the the proceeds of the book as well are going to um, are going to ICU in Tralee, and I'm also uh, want to uh, direct some of it towards uh, Radio Maria Ireland, who were very good to me uh, when I was on the life support. Uh, they put out prayer across the country. Uh, Deacon Don Devaney actually had been through uh, nearly exactly the same experience as me really? with COVID, but twelve months previously. So he had come through it. He knew exactly what it was like and he was able to talk to my family about it and that was very encouraging for them. But on top of that, he does a program on um, on Radio Maria healing program and uh, he, he put out the call and he said, Tady, every time we heard the news <laughs> was getting worse or bad, he said, we ramped up the prayer. The prayer. <laughs> he said, we ramped up the prayer. I said, fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. So it's like when when I was doing my my junior sort, my nana said, um, she said I light a candle for you. I go, this is a bonfire I need. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, do you know what? I think I think there was a bonfire of prayer under me as well. Um, lastly, before we we finish up, I don't know if it's out there yet, and if it's not, I mentioned on my show release date for the book. How's it? Uh, it's it's I haven't a release date yet for it. They're 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 saying at home. Don't rush it. <laughs> I'll mention, it, I'll mention it anyway. Ah, yeah, very good. But it's being proofread at the moment, yeah. and uh, I'm working and designing the cover. So, to all intents and purposes, uh, I'm I'm finished with the input. I think uh, 
but um, it's uh, it's being designed at the moment. I'd like a, a tasty design in the cover. Yeah. And yes, I, I, I don't want to rush it, but I, I do want to let people know uh, when I'm publishing, when I'm releasing it, because, um, you know, I brought it out for the purpose of giving people hope um, in the in the challenges, in the broad challenges of life that it will help them yeah. out of the darkness, wherever that is, and however that presents itself, uh, whether it's grief or separation or whatever it is, I've discovered that um, for me, because in, 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 in my story as well, and probably for your story, there's some grief in that, because when I was going to All Hallows, that we did something on grief, and there was a, a man, and he made a profound statement, one of the lecturers, he said, you know, where there is change in your life, there is loss. Absolutely. And where there is loss, there is grief. So there doesn't have to be death for grief. Loss brings grief. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So th- that's that's a journey I think that everybody goes through from time to time is a journey of grief. Absolutely. Because there's loss happening all the time. Teddy, thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure to Pleasure to, to be to here with you, to you and to share this with you. And it's fantastic to see your determination and the inspiration that you're giving to people through your program, Ian. It's been a real privilege. Thank you very much. No God better. bless you. We'll keep motoring on the two of us. Thank, thank you. God bless you. Now, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show and I appreciate you tuning in as always. A massive thanks to Tady for coming in today to share his story. If you have any questions or requests for next week's show, you can drop me an email on my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie or drop me a message on my Instagram, enoconnell321. Stay tuned to Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley is up next with That's Jazz. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.